Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about the impact of maladaptive daydreaming and whether dogs can recognize our faces in photographs. Then, author Marin McKenna will explain how antibiotics created modern agriculture and changed the way the world eats. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Everybody daydreams from time to time, but if you find yourself lost in fantasies for hours every day to the detriment of your real life, that could be what psychologists call maladaptive daydreaming. It's a psychiatric condition people have been paying more attention to lately, so we figured now might be a good time to talk about it. Scientific research on maladaptive daydreaming has been pretty limited. It's shown up in a few research papers, but it hasn't landed in the pages of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which is the Bible of mental health diagnosis. Over the last few years, though, a number of internet communities have popped up to provide support and understanding for people who identify with the condition. And now researchers are starting to come around to the idea that maladaptive daydreaming could be worthy of study. Daydreaming for hours at a time might not seem that bad, and it's true that people who experience maladaptive daydreaming say they like their daydreams while they're happening. The daydreams are really vivid and intense, and sometimes pleasurable. But then there's the maladaptive part. Maladaptive daydreaming can also have a negative impact on personal relationships, emotional health, and daily life. In one case study, a 25-year-old Polish man began daydreaming as a child. He would deal with painful life events by fantasizing that the events didn't happen. But by the time he was an adult, even a simple activity like reading the news could trigger these daydreams, where he would invent elaborate and exciting stories about being a multimillionaire who fixes the world's problems. He'd start daydreaming in the morning, and before he knew it, the sun had gone down. Understandably, he felt like life was passing him by. And he's not alone. A 2018 study had 77 people with maladaptive daydreaming keep daily diaries of their symptoms. They reported daydreaming for an average of four hours a day. And the fallout was real. They reported feeling higher anxiety, dissociation, and negative emotions on days when they spent the most time daydreaming. The researchers found that many of the participants experienced more obsessive-compulsive symptoms the day before a really intense bout of daydreaming. That suggests the two conditions could be related, and that serotonin-modifying drugs that work on OCD could help with maladaptive daydreaming, too. I hope this primer helped you understand maladaptive daydreaming a little better. Good mental health means keeping a careful balance of fantasy and reality. Daydreaming can be a nice vacation from real life, but unfortunately, every vacation has to end sometime. Your dog can definitely recognize you in person, but can they spot you in a picture? That's what Italian researchers set out to discover in a recent study. Here's what happened. Each of the dogs was brought into a room and given a few minutes to sniff around the new space. Then the pooch watched as its owner and a stranger put on white jumpsuits and blue shoe covers. Then the dog was led out of the room and the two humans took their places behind a large white panel affixed with two small curtains, each hiding that human's photograph. A little while later, a researcher walked the dog back into the room and had it sit facing the panel. The researcher lifted the curtains so the dog could see the photographs. Next, the researcher opened two small doors, which revealed the legs and feet of the people standing behind the panel. Because they were both wearing jumpsuits and shoe covers, they were pretty much identical. 
Finally, each dog was given 30 seconds to consider the photos and approach one of the people standing behind them. If they approached their owner's side, it was safe to assume they recognized their owner from the photograph. The team ran this experiment with three conditions, each of which tested 20 dogs. The optimal condition used a well-lit photo of their owner facing forward and smiling. The suboptimal condition used an unevenly lit photo of their owner looking off to the side with a neutral expression. Finally, the control group didn't use any photo at all. That was to make sure the dogs weren't recognizing their owner's legs and feet. Turns out they weren't. The dogs in the control condition did no better than chance. But what about the other two conditions? Dogs that were presented with a well-lit photo did remarkably well. 15 went to their owner and only 5 went to the stranger. The dogs with the unevenly lit photos didn't do quite as well. They did better than the control condition, but not good enough for the result to reach statistical significance. So if you want your dog to recognize your picture, think more professional headshot and less bathroom selfie. In the end, the researchers concluded that dogs can, in fact, recognize human faces in photos. Maybe next time you can get Fido to pick your profile picture. Antibiotics kill bacteria. We take them when we're sick. But farmers give antibiotics to animals, even when they're not sick. So what's up with that? Well, today with the story is Marin McKenna, author of the book Big Chicken, the incredible story of how antibiotics created modern agriculture and changed the way the world eats. We interviewed Marin during a live podcast at the American Association for the Advancement of Science, the AAAS, annual meeting in Seattle in February which seems like about a million years ago, and is probably the last large gathering Ashley or I will be able to say we attended in 2020. Marin told us all about antibiotic use in agriculture, including this story of why we started doing it in the first place. Antibiotics were a sensation when they arrived. They changed the course of history, they changed the course of battles, they probably contributed to the success of World War II. And right at the beginning of the antibiotic era, just as people are rejoicing in the action of antibiotics to cure infections, they discover also that the food supply is kind of fragile as a result of the war. And a scientist named Thomas Jukes, who's working actually to help enhance the diets of livestock that are being given cheaper feed in order to save money, Jukes tests an effect that's been observed by some scientists in Wisconsin who were trying to create pathogen-free mice. They gave mice doses of antibiotics, hoping to sterilize their guts, and discovered that in, over the course of the study, the mice got fatter. So Jukes has, thinks that maybe this will work for livestock as well. He sets up an experiment in which he takes baby chicks and he divides them up into groups. It's a pretty classic experimental design. He keeps one group aside as a control group. He gives all the other groups all the cheap dietary supplements for animals that are on the market at the time, and he gives one group tiny doses of antibiotics, and that group gains the most weight. And within five years, farmers in the United States are giving their livestock 500,000 pounds of antibiotics a year in order to make them gain weight faster. Now, why did they do that? Probably because the antibiotics, they didn't have the tools to determine this at the time, but we do now interfere with the mix of bacteria in the gut microbiome in such a way that it changes the uptake of nutrition from the feed. Jukes never thought, to the end of his life, he lived a very long time, he absolutely defended this 
effect that he had found. He saw no downside in it. He thought there would never be any antibiotic resistance as a result, which was kind of naive of him, I think. Um, at this point, we are now giving more than 25 million pounds of antibiotics to livestock just in the United States, both for Jukes' effect, which he called growth promotion, and also for a general prophylactic effect, because once it was discovered that you could grow animals faster, people started to build bigger and bigger farms to grow more and more animals. They got more and more crowded. Animal production got more and more concentrated, and it became necessary to protect those animals against diseases of crowding. And so we got not just growth promoter antibiotics, but prophylactic antibiotics, millions of pounds a year. This misuse of antibiotics in animals is bad because the antibiotics we use in agriculture are the same antibiotics we use in human medicine. And as bacteria and livestock develop resistance to those antibiotics, they won't be able to help us if the same bacteria make us sick. Marin also told us that antibiotic-resistant bacteria from animals can contaminate lots of foods, including leafy greens. So even if you're vegan, you have reason to be concerned. Fortunately, Marin told us that this long story of antibiotic misuse in the food system is, quote, beginning to be a story of solutions, which means food producers and policymakers are on the case. You can watch Marin explain in our full uncut interview which you can find on our YouTube channel right now. You can find a link to that in today's show notes or just visit youtube.com slash curiosity.com, all spelled out. Well, that was fun. Let's recap the main things we learned today. Well, we learned that there's such a thing as daydreaming too much. People with maladaptive daydreaming can daydream for four hours a day and kind of upend their lives as a result. And we also learned that dogs can recognize their owners' faces in photos. Although, I'm not going to lie, if I had a dog right now, I don't think the dog would recognize me compared to what it looked like three months ago. That's got to be the next study, right? Pre-quarantine and post-quarantine photos. Can your dog recognize those? Have you cut your hair? No. Yeah, me neither. I almost feel like our podcast artwork is false advertising at this point because my hair used to be sticking pretty much straight up and it is not that now. And the other thing is... In 2008, I got LASIK, so I didn't wear glasses for more than 10 years. And then when I went to the ophthalmologist in January or February, for the first time in forever, I actually had to get a prescription. So now I have glasses and my hair is like eight times longer than it was before. I, I seriously feel like I, I don't know, I look like nothing like I was earlier. I feel like you get all of your power from your sticking up hair. And whenever it's flat, you're just like, oh, things aren't right. Oh, I can't do this. This is oh, this is not this is not good. And, you know, I'm just here to tell you, 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 you pretty much look the same. Is that bad? <laughs> well, thank you for that perspective. And we learned why we use antibiotics in livestock when animals aren't sick. It's because antibiotics can actually make animals bigger. But using them too much can produce antibiotic resistance, which can extend to human medicine and make it so we might get infections that we can't cure with antibiotics, which is not good. But again, we're on the path to making this stuff better. And I'm not going to lie, when we were preparing for AAAS, Ashley mentioned this book, and I'm like, ah, antibiotics and animals. I really didn't know how interesting it would be. And it was a super interesting conversation. So I'm totally sold. And it's actually a lot more fascinating than maybe meets the eye. Yeah, Marin McKenna's book, Big Chicken, is really fascinating. And if you start reading it, I just really recommend that you read all the way to the end. Because if you stop reading in the middle, you'll be very depressed for like the rest of the week. 
Just like how you should probably go watch the full interview on our YouTube channel. Exactly. Today's stories were written by Kelsey Donk and Grant Curran and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Today's episode was produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.